special thanks to uh, all of you who did not get up and leave when Ben told you I was going to preach today. So I know it's a temptation, but thanks for resisting. I only had to turn a few of you back. Uh, a quick addendum to Ashley's announcement. She said only 10 slots are available for that uh, uh, Hope for San Diego day of service in July. It's actually 10 slots for Generate Hope for that project, so it's uh, limited for Generate Hope. The other project that we're hoping to team up together is for the SD, San Diego Refugee Tutoring Picnic Day. I did that a couple years ago with them. It's awesome. I signed my family up for it last night, so check that out. Um, there are more slots, but Generate Hope is limited, so jump in now if you want to do that. Um, and in lieu of more announcements, uh, we've been talking about grads, and so we would just recognize a few more graduates outside of the VP folks from our church that are graduating in this season. I'm sure we didn't get everyone, but I just want to walk through it really quickly. Uh, Liam just graduated from Urban Discovery Academy, so he's headed to high school next year. Uh, Mark Barhura just finished his, at Health Sciences High, and he also did his EMT completion at the same time. He's 17. He's, I know, it's incredible. Good job, Mark. We announced Aaron and Madison. Yeah, why not? You can keep clapping. Just interrupt me. It's fine. Clap 100 times. Um, we announced Aaron and Madison graduating from Point Loma recently. I don't think they're here. Uh, this, uh, Madison's already down in Peru, like, being awesome and doing things. Um, but I'm stoked for them to have just recently graduated. And then two more. Uh, Jayla, who you see, she sings up here sometimes, she just got her MA in communication from San Diego State. And Jessica Kasten, her husband, is often up here uh, playing uh, keys as well. She got her PhD in human genetics from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. She's smarter than you or me. It's awesome. So give it up for these people. Totally. Again, I'm sure there's more people doing stuff and going and graduating and stuff, but these are the ones we're able to just capture right now. And it's just fun to, to look at and see completion and progress and folks taking this next step. So congratulations to all of you and, and well done. Um, this morning, we are going to talk about kind of what Chad did here with these memorial stones, if you will. Um, and we're going to talk about these stories that God has given to us that shape us. Stories have this power to inspire us, to remind us of, of who we are. Uh, we are raised in families where we hear stories over and over again about our roots and about where we came from. For me, some of those stories are focused on my dad and his childhood. He had a really rough childhood, my grandfather, not a good man. Um, and so there's some of those like, bad stories that we hear, and we don't talk about a lot because it's just tough, and about the way that he affected my dad's family. But the stories that we do rehearse about my dad's childhood are the antics that he and his brother did constantly that are absolutely ridiculous. Like the time when, uh, at the age of three, when they were serving macaroni and cheese at his preschool, my father scaled the walls, broke rank, and fled. A lady picked him up, picked him up a half mile down the road on the Pacific Coast Highway as my three-year-old father was like, I'm out, mac and cheese, forget this place. My children, I don't know if they're related to my dad because that's all they ever want to eat is mac and cheese. Thankfully, my dad made it. Or the time that my dad, on the way to pick up my mom for a date in high school, was driving his car, and he got distracted by a police officer in his rearview mirror, managed to put the tires up on the center divide curb, cranked the wheel, and flipped his car down an embankment because of the distracting police officer. Or my uncle, my uncle was uh, far more crazy. I don't have time to get into all of his antics, but the time in his Jaguar, he was driving, and the police tried to pull him over because he was speeding, and he thought he could outrun them. And he didn't. Good job, Uncle Richard. Um, you guys know those stories, right? You, know, you all know the punchlines. You all remember what happened. And yet when you get together with your family over and over and over, you tell the same stories. And, and you laugh 
and you remember, and you just crack up. And these stories define uh, your family. The things that you tell over and over and over, they inform kind of who you are. Well, in our text today, God calls us to keep telling similar stories about our walk with him. He commands us to rehearse over and over the grace that he's shown towards us so that we might never forget who he is. We have to talk about all that he has done and, and, and who he is so that we can raise up our kids and so that we can raise up disciples in these histories of grace. That's what we're going to talk about today and hopefully be encouraged to do that all the more. So I want, to pr- I want to pray for me and for us and then we'll jump in. Let's pray. God, thanks that you're good. Thanks that we have this opportunity as we do every week to meet together to remember how good you are and remember all that you've done for us. Win our hearts again. Speak to us. Show us again just your sweetness and your grace to us and help us to delight in you so that we can share that with others and and tell them about those things. Be here this morning, Father. Please speak. We pray in your name. Amen. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 6. It's the fifth book of the Bible, so you can find it. So if you have your Bible, open up. You have your app, take it out. The text will be on the screen. Um, and we're in this series, Blueprint for Discipleship. And we're talking through uh, the plan that God has given us to raise up disciples. And it's the same plan that God has given us to raise up our kids to know him. And we're talking about this sermon series in staff meeting. I kind of blurted out, like, oh, there's this blueprint. There's this plan in Deuteronomy 6, right? It's, it's, and it's the Shema. And then I was talking about, oh, and it's like Ebenezer's. And, and I'm just saying these, blurting out these random Hebrew words that are really meaningful to my heart. And then Stephen said, great, why don't you preach about that? And I said, oh, okay. Taught me to um, talk less in staff meeting. But, um, but I was like, I would love to, and I would. And so we're going to talk about it today. Uh, these two strange words, Shema. And Ebenezer's, they're related, and I want to talk about them and and read from Deuteronomy 6. I want us to grow in our discipleship, to grow in our our spiritual life, and grow in our ability to impact and connect with others. So I'm going to use some shorthand talking about how you you raise your kids or how you impact your family. Um, But here's the thing. This is not for parents only. We are all in spiritual relationships. A good friend of mine is always reminding me, like, all of life is spiritual. In fact, he says all, everything we say, everything we think is prayer because God is always there. God is constantly working in us and through us to the people around us. And he is calling us to take responsibility for those conversations and for the impact we have. So if you are a brother or sister, an uncle, aunt, a grandparent, a parent, or if you're, if you're just like literally the only person you ever have known, but you have someone in your life that you have the ability to have impact on. You're not even someone you're related to, just a coworker, a friend, someone in your life group. This is for you. This is the blueprint for how we disciple. I am convinced discipleship is usually not meeting one-on-one for weeks and weeks and weeks studying a book. I think it can be. I think it's usually two people or a group of people talking about grace and sharing their stories. That's how we help each other become more like Jesus. And so it's going to be like a two-step program for how we do that. So let's look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house 
and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the Shema. Shema means listen or hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the Shema is a declaration of oneness and uniqueness of God that reads as a confession or a creed for the Jewish people. The men in Israel in Jesus' time and even today would recite this two or three times a day. Little boys, when they're born, the first words they were taught to say was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema. And, and, and what the Shema tells us is our first point this morning, which is talk about the word of God. So the Shema is famous. We're, we're familiar with this text in Deuteronomy 6, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So Jesus quotes when he says this is the greatest commandment. And he attaches another from a different section. And there's a third section of scripture that make up these 20 verses of the Shema. But what they say is God is one. Love him with everything you have. And here's how. Talk about his word. Talk about his commands, his precepts, his testimonies. Everything that he is, all that he's ever done, revealed to us in scripture. God says, here's how you do this, Israel. And Jesus says later, here's how you do this. Because when Jesus quoted that as the greatest command, we're like, great, all I have to do is love God and love people. But attached to that, pregnant in that phrase is, talk about his words as you wake up in the morning, as you walk along the way, at work, and when you're sitting to eat with your children, talk about his word. Talk about it. Talk about it. Tell yourself. Tell your disciples. Tell the kids around you about the word of God. I love that he has them do some, some crazy things. My son, uh, my wife just clipped a couple pieces of hair. We have a six-month-old son, a uh, little Boston, and he has like this just thing of hair that's gigantic right here, but he had these like four-inch like tassels of hair coming off of like his ears, and he just looked like uh, he was a Hasidic Jew, you know, from... <laughs> And, and so this morning, I think of all mornings, my wife decided to cut, clip them, which I was really thankful for because it was just weird seeing these little ringlets. But that's what it talks about in the text, right, is that the, you bind it on your forehead. You have it on the tassels of your garment. It's on the doorpost to your home. And even now, I remember trick-or-treating, and you'd look up, and you'd see it somehow. So you'd see that little wooden box on the doorframe of a home. You're like, oh, this is, I think this is where some Jewish people live. And inside that little box was a little scroll with this text on it. So that every time they came in the house, and they probably got used to it and didn't look at it anymore, but the point was you would see, oh, these are the testimonies of God. We have to remember that. So their clothing would represent, wait, don't forget the word of God. The way they dressed, their hair, all of it would say, don't forget God. Talk about God and talk about his word. Rehearse it over and over. Why does God ask us to do this? Why is this still prevalent in like Hasidic Jews specifically today? Because the word of God, his commands, this is our blueprint to God. And, th- and we, we say this is, this is how we get to know him. People say this is his love letter to us. This is what basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-I, that's a really cheesy acronym. There's another one coming later, so write that down. Um, but his word is the way that the God of the universe has chosen to reveal himself to us. It's an ancient document. It's really hard to read sometimes. But it is thick with stories of life-giving grace. It's easy for me to want to just be in relationships and talk about what's going on and forget 
the primacy of his word. God says, don't forget this thing. Before 500 years ago, families didn't have this in their homes. The way they received the word is they would go to church, they would hear a sermon, and they would talk about it. And they would meditate on that message. They would hear the word preached, they would hear the word read, and they would talk about it. They didn't have scrolls, they didn't have the Torah, they didn't have, Christians didn't have, I have 10 of these, right? I've got an app in my phone, I looked it up, it has 57 translations in English, 1,700 translations total in 1,300 languages in my pocket, like on my phone. We have access to the word of God. And it's one thing to say, read your Bible, read your Bible, study it, do your devotions every day. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, talk about the word. Don't, it's really good for us to spend time in the word, to do our Bible studies, to go to group, to receive preaching. But if we don't take that next step and talk about it and get it outside of ourselves then we won't marinate in it. It won't penetrate our heart in the way that just studying it does. So our first point, of, I was tempted to say, teach the word of God, right? Teach the word of God to everyone you see. But then I was thinking, wait a minute. There's this thing in our culture that we get really intimidated about telling other people what to do. I, I can't tell them that. It might save their life. I can't tell them not to do this. They might get to know God. No, I might, they'll reject me. They'll do this thing. And so I can't, I'm not an expert. Who am I to teach the word of God? I don't think that's what God asks us to do. He says, talk about it. Just talk about it. This is what I learned. This is what I read today. This is what we talked about at church. I think God wants us in spiritual relationships to simply talk about him in his word, more. That's what he tells us to do. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and talk about his commands all the time. It's easy for me to feel like, I don't know what to do in my spiritual relationships. I don't know how to impact these people. I can't disciple anyone. Who am I? Sure you can. You can say, I read this thing in the Bible. It gave me life. Is that interesting to you? <laughs> people are going to go, yeah, like that actually matters to you? Talk about his word. I'm a fairly new father. I have three kids now, but our oldest one is three and a half. And Winnie is our oldest. And, uh, and we were super excited, my wife and I, to share with her the storybook, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Casey, and my wife, has been reading books to Winnie since she was three weeks old. And at three weeks old, Winnie, and this is a little ridiculous, but she was just dialed in. She was like, a book! She couldn't say that yet. But she, she communicated that by what she did. And so ever since, she has just been obsessed with reading everything she can get her hands on. She loves reading. So we got this storybook, Jesus Storybook Bible, which our friend said, you're going to love it. It's this like, picture of Jesus. It tells all these little stories pointing to Jesus, this greater story of the redemption of Jesus. It's great for kids. They're going to love it. So we, we get it out, and we read it to Winnie. And for the first time in her life, she says, I don't like that book. <laughs> She's two and a half. She literally goes, I don't like that book. And I'm like... Are you watching Real Housewives? Why do you talk like that? What's going on? <laughs> it's the only book she doesn't want to read. We're like, what? what's happening? No, like, you, this is, you're supposed to love this, you know? And we were kind of heartbroken. And then later, my wife, because she's so smart, um, she, can, she, she purchases the audio CDs, and she starts playing them for, for Winnie. And now she loves them. And now Winnie is grabbing this CD, and we have this, like, bulky CD player that she runs, and she presses play, and it's blaring throughout the house. And I'm like, turn that off, you know, like, get rid of it. It's so annoying because it's the same thing over and over. But it's really good for her. And now guess what? Winnie is like, 
want to read this book again? She's like, yeah, let's read that book. She likes it. That for us, like finding the audio that connected to the book, it helped us talk about his word to our daughter. Piper, our two and a half year old, just does whatever her sister wants. So that's great. So it's working for both of them. And Boston's too young to complain. Um, find ways to get the word of God into your heart. Does it take audio? I know my app, the U version, will play. I can listen to someone with like a cool accent, read the Bible, and it helps. And, it, and I hear it and I receive it in a different way, right? Not just like when I try to sit down and read by myself. At our life groups, we spend time debriefing or discussing or, or kind of talking about the sermon, another way to interact with Scripture and hear how it bounced off of other people. Another easy way to get scripture into you so that you can go out and talk to other people is to um, skillfully memorize scripture. And what I mean by that is, I always grew up in kind of a Christian home and Awana and then Christian college. And like memor scripture memorization was usually homework of some sort. Like to qualify for this thing, you have to study this. And I don't know, uh, leadership project students, I don't know if you have to memorize scripture. Sometimes it can feel like that. Um, what I didn't learn until more recently was that scripture memorization is a great tool to find a verse or a passage, a couple words that work like a scalpel on my heart that are fine-tuned to help me delight again in God. And when I just try to generically memorize something that some person told me I should do it, that's great, put the word of God in your heart, it, it will be helpful. But if I'm struggling with something and I can find that one verse that actually meets me there, Jesus in Ephesians tells us that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It's the way we fight Satan. It's the way we fight lies and discouragement. It's the way we find hope because all of the, the weapons in Ephesians 6, right, are defensive. The helmet and the shield and the breastplate and the thing, not the sword. The sword is the one that you attack with. You go after the lies, the temptation, the hurt. I remember um, I was in a tough season about 12 years ago. And I, I was hurting. And I just was like, God, what is going on in my life? And he gave me Romans 15, 13. And it says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And it just grabbed me like God is for me. It helped me, but wait a minute, God's for me. Mark, can you put it back up? May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. And like all these words are like exploding, right? So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's a lot of power, you may abound in hope. I was in a hopeless situation. And God gave me this, and I got to memorize it and, and pray it over and over and over again until I believed it. And even now, I can pray it over and over and over again, because that's how God tells us to use Scripture. Use it like a scalpel to do heart surgery when you need it. Find scripture that moves you. Search for it. Ask someone. Do you know any scripture that helps me with this? Yeah, there's a lot of it. We can help you find that. Talk about the word of God. So whether it's reading scripture together, discussing the Sunday sermon, uh, playing audio, memorizing scripture, 
get that scripture in you that matters. Let it move the needle of your heart and then talk about it. You have to have both. Find the scripture, talk about it over and over again. On to the next point. In verse 12, God says uh, to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6, when you enter the promised land that things will go well for you, verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God knows that we leak, right? That our hope leaks, our vision leaks, our passion, our commitment to go to the gym every day, our commitment to read our Bible every day, our commitment to eat, whatever it is, like our commitment to delight in God, to never do that sin again, it, it tends to, to leak out and we forget. And he says, careful, because you're going to leak. And then he goes on in verse 20, when your son asks you in time, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that our Lord, our God has commanded you, dad? Why do we have to do all that? Why do we have all of this? 21, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all the commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. God anticipates pushback from our hearts, from our friends, from our kids. Why, why does God make us do all that? What is the meaning of these testimonies and statutes? Does God really say we're not supposed to have sex before marriage? What about natural disasters? Is God sovereign? Oh, what do you do when cancer in your family comes up? Like, and I'm, you're shaken and you pray and it doesn't change. Well, how come? I think that's pregnant in this verse. When your son pushes back and says, what about all this stuff? What do we do? And God's answer? Rehearse who God is and what he's done. Talk about the Exodus. Talk about it over and over. The Exodus was Calvary for the Jews. It was the moment God said, I am your God and you are my people. I'm identifying with you as a nation and I'm gonna deliver you from the most powerful nation on earth and set you up in the promised land. For us, it's Calvary, right? It's Jesus on the cross dying for us, forgiving us of our sins, paying for our debt, and then giving us righteousness that we can have life eternal and know him forever. God says, when we hit that struggle point, what do we do? Tell stories. Tell stories of who he is and what he's done. When we remember his goodness and love, when we rehearse his tenderness to us, how he's won us, how his, he has great patience with us, our faith is renewed. And even more, when we tell those stories over and over with the people around us, we inspire and reinforce and shape the hearts of all who will listen. In the Old Testament, there's this cool thing. They keep building um, piles of rocks and saying, look what God did. Abraham is always building altars. They say he moved from the city and he built an altar. And it's this pile of rocks that it gets him to God, right? They do the sacrifice, but then that pile of rocks stays. He doesn't like leave and like kick it over and knock it down. 
he leaves this pile of rock. Look what God did here. When the Israelites crossed the Jordan, they picked up these 12 memorial stones, right? And they placed them, say, don't forget what God did. And then in 1 Samuel, um, there's this word that Samuel says. It's Ebenezer. Ebenezer. We've talked about Azers here recently in our church. Eben, stone of. Azer, help. Stone of help, Ebenezer. It does not mean Scrooge. The Israelites managed to allow the Ark of the Covenant to get over into the Philistines' hands because they were like, well, let's just put the Ark out and see what God does. They were testing God, and they were judged for it, and they lost a lot of battles. And eventually, God delivered the Ark, his presence, back to them and gave them favor over the Philistines in a way that only God could. And Samuel said, build a pile of rocks, put a stone there, put up an Ebenezer in this place, that every time we see it, we will not forget what God has done. Here I raise mine, Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. That's what God asks us to do. Talk about his word and tell stories of his grace over and over. That's our second point. Talk about his word, tell stories of his word. There's two part in raising up Ebenezer, right? There's the symbol and then there's the like story of what he did. There's this thing that makes us talk about it. But then there's the, here is what God did. It's all focused on these stories of grace. Samuel sets up this rock and says, every time you see this, remember it. In Deuteronomy 6, every time your son says, how come, how come we're doing this? Remember, go back to this story. God delivered us. He is so good. He will deliver us yet again. You have to know this God. And here's what we're supposed to do. If you look, I don't know if you've noticed this. You probably have. If you take communion here in our altar, there um, there's this table with these glass legs with stones on them with writing on them. And I don't know, years ago, was it seven years ago or so, when we combined two different sites, downtown, harbor, and uptown, um, we wanted a way to kind of feature what God had done. And so we asked people to write, what about this church has been most helpful in your life? And people had a chance to write that with a marker on these stones, and we, we, we collected all of them. And then it was with great wisdom, it was decided, let's use these as the stones that are holding up this table, this altar that, that holds communion, so that there's testimonies of grace holding up the communion we take every week. They're always here, and they're easy to miss. And the cool thing that Chad did today is he added to it. He wrote a testimony about Mary Beth. And, the, and all the other VP graduates. And these are going to go in those glass pillars. Testament. This is who God is. This is the way he showed up in our lives and changed us. There's other ways for us to do that. To rehearse the goodness of the gospel over and over again. In our life group, we practice what we call grace renewal at this church. The first thing we do is we meet up and we say, how's God shown up in your life this week? It usually starts with, well... And it's kind of quiet for a little while because it's easy to forget. It's easy to not pay attention. Wait a minute. God, oh, yeah, I got to pray with someone at work. It's really abnormal, but they said this thing, and I talked to him, and, he, and it was really beautiful and amazing, and God met me in this moment. And we all receive that grace. And what happens is as you tell the story of God's goodness in your life from that week, everyone in the room gets to be like, wow, that's cool. And they receive some of that grace, and for you, your heart is one again to the grace of God. That's what God tells us to do. Tell the stories. Talk about over and over the way he has met you. 
Uh, I was having breakfast with Ben, our worship leader, a few weeks back, and, and I just was identifying with his stage in life and where he's at. And I remembered when I was about his age, I was living in Texas and I was interning at a church and I had another almost full-time job and I was exhausted. And I just, I was just not happy with the stage I was in. I'm like, God, when are you going to, what are you going to do? I want you to do something. I feel a little stuck. And I was praying to God and suddenly I had this incredible like time of prayer with him where I sensed that he was um, like the Abba word from scripture, right? Where he was daddy. I felt like really intimate with God, my father, and I felt like he was asking me, what do you want? Just like, like in the best way a father could tell a child, son, tell me, what do you want? And I remember just praying, just honestly, I'm like, God, I, I really want to be in full-time ministry, and I really want a family. That's what I want. And in that moment, I did not receive, great, you're going to get it. I didn't get married the next day. It took about 14 years for me to meet my wife from then. It's a long time. God, you, he didn't promise. But I had this sense that he knew me, he cared, and he was with me. And he said, like, I res- those are good, good desires, son. I love you. There was no promise. And it was fun to kind of remember that and talk to Ben about that and point out, like, an Ebenezer, oh, Ben, there was this time in my life and I don't know, I didn't ask him to share this. And it's, he's not in the same place. It wasn't those specific things. He just was this kind of angsty, my work, I'm trying to figure out what to do. I'm, I'm post-college, trying to jump into life. And there's a story. I've been there. And God didn't promise it to me. But he received it and he knew me and it was good. It was an Ebenezer moment for me. What are the stories that we tell and retell? If you have kids, have kids around in your life, what are the stories that we tell and retell? Are we paying attention to the stories that we repeat? A long time ago, I was a youth pastor um, at a church, and there was this one family, and um, they would always talk about how wasted their mom used to get in college. Oh, it was crazy. She had these benders, and she'd, like, play softball. She just passed out drunk, but she had home run. It was incredible. Over. And, I mean, this is the one story I remember from their life. Because I heard it so many times. And in my youth, I wish I would have turned to him and said, like, and I didn't, I was young. I wish I would have said, like, do you know any other stories about your mom? <laughs> like, I know she had a pretty radical conversion, but it feels like all we talk about was, like, how drunk she used to get. That that was the legacy of how, and her mom was like, oh, it's crazy. Goes, it's nuts. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's, those are fine. I'm not, like crazy story shaming, you know what I mean? Like, it's fine to talk about the crazy stuff that used to happen, the mac and cheese and running away. Like, those are great stories. Tell the stories in your life. But do they, do the people around you and do your kids know how you came to Jesus? Do they know the way that you were freaked out, you didn't know what you were going to do, but you got on your knees and you humbled yourself, the way God provided for you that time that he really showed you he loved you? Do they know the story of how you prayed more than you've ever prayed before? God is calling us to repeat over and over and over to build up Ebenezer's, to raise Ebenezer's stories or even pictures or monuments, if you will, memorials to his grace over and over again. So quickly, here's how we do that. Here's practical steps to this this message. Talk about the word of God, tell his stories of grace. So number one, spend time in the word of God. 
I don't care. I'm not saying you ought to read it every day for the next 10 years, read the Bible in a year, become a theologian. Just access the word of God. Find something that moves the needle for you. And then two, tell someone about it. If we're not telling someone, it's only going to go so far. Our time with the word of God alone will only get us so far. His blueprint for us of how we make an impact in other people's life, spend time with his word, spend time with God, and talk about it. And the second thing is, our third step technically, is look for God at work in your life. What is God doing? Do you feel like he hasn't done anything recently? Is that him or you? Like in the nicest way possible. When I feel like, God, you haven't done anything lately. He's like, that's funny. I'm actually at work in your life constantly. I'm in every conversation. I'm constantly providing for you. I'm with you. Even when you f- I feel far away, I'm still here. Look for him at work in your life and tell someone about it. In fact, if you don't feel like he's at work in your life, tell someone about that because that's God working in your life through you to have a spiritual conversation. Spend some time in the word of God. Tell someone about it. Look for God at work in your life and tell someone about it. It's easy to get cynical about this because it's so foolishly simple, right? It's kind of this like God, you, others. Jesus, or, or Chad said it's Jesus, others, you, because then that's the acronym JOY. Thank you, thank you for that, Chad. Another cheesy acronym. But, but the formula is simple. It's God and it's you and it's others. And he says this is the way we do it. This is the blueprint for discipleship. This is what I'm telling Israel to do. This is what church is. It's God, and it's you, and it's others. And you kind of get in that, and you you talk about it. This is the Great Commission. This is how we change our city. God, others, you. Take his word. Talk about it. Experience grace. Talk about it. That's how we change lives, is by letting him be in our relationship with others. And how do we do that? Spend time in his word, look for his grace, and talk about it over and over again. Let me pray. God, um, thanks that you're good. Um, Thanks that when I don't want to read your word, um, you understand and you're with me. Thanks that... um, that when I feel isolated and alone, that I'm not, that you're there with me. God, help me believe that you're that good. I need to rehearse over and over like we do every Sunday with communion, like we do through the word and through these songs. I need to rehearse how good you are because I forget, I leak. But thanks that because of Jesus, you constantly meet me in that space and you constantly remind me of your goodness. Help me just to open my mouth about it. Help me to believe that if I take the step of faith to talk about you, that you'll transform that relationship and that you'll at least use it. Help me to look for your grace at work in my life. Help us to do that. Thanks that you're our God. Thanks that you care about us. Thanks that you're with us. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen.